eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. Make sure you download that Odyssey app. You get all the episodes sooner. And man, today, Kyle, the pod is brought to you by James Harden once again. I think it's fair to say us calling him out on the last pod was a motivation he needed to uh, to step up tonight. But I mean, just... You know, I feel like I've come down off the high of the game, but it's just, it's, un I can't believe they won that game. I'm sitting here, I don't know, maybe three hours later, two hours later, and I, it is the most unsixers thing in the world that we are doing a victory pod and not a pod saying, oh my God, they're down 3-1, I can't believe they blew it, blah, blah, blah. Like, what an unbelievable win. So, I, this was, I essentially said this in my tweet promoting my story after the game, but, you know, whatever happens from here, James Harden won this team two out of the four games they needed to win this series. Straight up. Single-handedly yep. won game one. Single-handedly won them game four. And I'm not going to say that, hey, job is done. Like, he got he won the two games for them. But this is why we've said so many times, like, we can break down matchups and styles and coaches and blah, 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 blah. The only thing that really matters – when push comes to shove in the playoffs, who's the best player on the floor? Yep. That guy was the best player in game one. He was also the worst player in games two and three, but yeah. he was the best player on the floor in game four once again. I know we had talked so much about Joel's got to be that guy. Like Without Joel being the best player on the floor, they have no chance and this and that. And we are certainly going to get to the end of that game for Joel yeah. at some point during this podcast. But that is about as big of a statement as James Harden could make. It was the shortest rest they're going to have this series. He's coming off the two, you could argue, like statistically, the two worst games he's ever played back to back in terms of, uh, you know, shooting and scoring. Mm-hmm. And just pushes all that to the side, shows up in a. <laughs> And a hat that says war across the, the front <laughs> at post game. And, you know, may, I had not seen his 
pregame war or his pregame outfit prior to the game, if you had told me that's what he was wearing, I would have said, Oh, that it's it's Jimbo. It's Jimbo season out here. <laughs> well, what's so funny is whatever, I mean, this is a big Twitter talking point, but literally you can tell by what he's wear what he's worn to the game this series, how he's played. You look at he wore in game one, he had like those ridiculously huge, like blue pants on. Games two and three is a little more subdued, a little more like regular type clothing. Then he comes out tonight in that, and obviously you could tell right away that he was going to have a massive game. So, yeah, I mean, I, he was unbelievable. You texted in it. It's the James Harden legacy game, and and it's true. Like, the end of the day, we can do matchups and all those things like you said, but if you look at this series, they are the series is over if he's not on the team. They are swept. They lose game one because Joel doesn't play, and they lose tonight without him, right? As bad as he was in games two and three, this series is over if James Harden isn't on the team. And we will have discussions in the future about whether they'll sign him, whatever that. Remember these moments. Remember this game because it is not it is not easy to find players that can do what James Harden did tonight. Not just throughout the game. He comes out, he's aggressive. I think he had 18 points at halftime or something like that. Shot the ball well from three to start. But when everything was really spiraling, and it definitely was spiraling, he stepped up at the end. He makes that shot to tie it. Uh, I think it was either to tie it or put him up where it's the floater down the lane. And then obviously he makes that was a ridiculous shot, by the way. It was an insane shot. I don't think people appreciate how difficult that shot was in real time. Like he was just on such a heater that it all kind of gets folded into, oh, this miraculous performance and the game winning shot and all that. His stretch from for the final, I don't know, let's call it three to five minutes of regulation where Joel is like pissing his pants on the court basically. Mm. And they have absolutely nothing going. That was just James Harden, James Harden, James Harden, just like him and ISO him attacking switches. Like the, the number of difficult plays and difficult shots he made in that game was unbelievable. Yeah. And and look, he did on defense too, right? He had, I think two steals that were big. He had one definitely late and then he had another one uh, helping to run. Um, But no, I, I mean, look like, it's just unbelievable how well he played and how, I mean, coming off those two games, right? Like we've seen so often players on this team, when things spiral in the playoffs, Ben Simmons, they're unable to recover. Right. (laughs) And really we've seen it with Joel too. And we saw it, we started to see it tonight, but real quick point outside the James Harden thing. I think that there'll be people that leave this game and go, I can't believe they almost blew it. Like this is such a classic Sixers thing. That was a somewhat discouraging performance to me. I think this is the moment the Sixers grew up and and like won this series. And here's why I think that. Because when you look at the fact that they were able to win that game, that's the difference. That's why this team is different. The the constant discussion around this team is, is it the same team? Are they going to do the same thing they have in all these past years? They lose this game in almost every other year, right? Like we all saw it. We've seen this movie hundreds of times in the playoffs. In every second round they've been in. It spirals. They have no life, da 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 But then tonight, like Al Horford misses a three that would have put him up four, I think, with about a minute to go in overtime. Marcus Smart misses the shot at the end of regulation. His shot at the end of overtime is late. Like you saw differences in just, A, getting breaks, but also they were able to fight their way out of that funk they got into. They just were. And I think that when 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 you overcome something that's taken you a long time to do, and in this case, it's that second round, it's not gonna be pretty. And there's going to be moments where it's gonna say, or it's, it's going to feel like, oh my God, we're going to blow it again. And they got through that moment. So I thought tonight was such a massive win, obviously not only to avoid going down three to one, 
But just to see them get through the exact thing they've been unable to get through the past few years, James Harden deserves a ton of credit for that. P.J. Tucker deserves a ton of credit for that. But I thought this was a massive moment for for kind of the the growth of this core of players. Well, so you brought up P.J. Tucker. I have to tell you about something that happened post-game that I I was just losing my goddamn mind when this happened. So This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. P.J. Tucker made some incredible plays late in that game. Had an offensive rebound, N1, with like a minute left in regulation, ties the game. And right after he scores the initial basket, he goes right to Joel Embiid before the free throw. Yep. And he essentially told him, I, I can read you the full quote, he said, nobody can guard Joel one-on-one. There's no way. No disrespect to Al or anybody else. But I guarded him for a lot of years when he's aggressive and it's impossible. And he said, I'd seen two or three plays in a row, not him not doing that. And we can't have that, not yeah. with the season on the line. And so he's going to their best player and essentially saying, like, this is bullshit. Like, I, I know that Al Horford blocked your shot a few times and you haven't had it late and you're tired and, you know, the conditioning's an issue because you had the layoff and blah, blah, blah. And PJ's like, I don't care go out there and be Joel Embiid. So yeah, Doc Rivers is talking about this this moment after the game. And he says, last year against the Heat, there's a guy on the Heat named P.J. Tucker. And there's a guy named P.J. Tucker on our team now. Mm-hmm. And as he's in the middle of saying, that's the difference. Some fucking bozo media guy who's like never there just goes, that's why you got him. And I was like, <laughs> what? Did that just happen? Like, we're, oh my this God. is normally, it just, because the playoffs just turn into a total zoo, right? And it's oh, the yeah. same thing with the Eagles or any other yep. team. When they Media get rolling, stuff, yeah. oh, it's like, you have extra TV people. You have like people coming in with the NBA. It's like, you have the Italian reporters. You have people mm-hmm. from France and like all yep. this so this guy just coming out of nowhere. And the funniest part is he was not like some kid in a hoodie, like a fan or something, right. or like an obvious, some dude in like a suit with like slick back hair. And it was- I'm going to have to look for the uh, the audio of this. Because uh, oh that sounds, I'm I could probably play it for viral, you at yeah. some point if I could find well, it. But <laughs> As insane as that is, and I'm definitely going to look that up. He's right. <laughs> you know, like he is he right. Was correct. Yeah, it, was, it was correct analysis by him. Maybe not the time to do it, but. Um, no, I mean, the P.J. Tucker thing, too. First of all, he makes the and one play, which gets a little overshadowed in this because the reaction to him doing bead becomes the big kind of talking point, the big moment. But that was an I mean, that that was another game saving play. There were so many 
throughout really everybody I feel like but Toby had one of them but like they, they you know that play kept them in it but what's interesting about that moment is a you know when they signed PJ Tucker a lot of the talk was well they did him because of this like he's got that dog in him blah 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 in my opinion of that which ended up being wrong was you know I, like that's why you give him 10 million dollars like your leaders have to be those people and Bede has to be that person Harden has to be that person and I think that it can be something that's hard to quantify, like his, his the impact he's had on this team. But there could not be a more direct poster moment for what he brings you than that. Like you couldn't script it, right? The season's falling apart. It's against the Celtics. The you know they're they're blowing a massive game. And for her him to go and do that, a the fact he does it to Joel really speaks to who he is. I do think there are some concerning parts that he felt he had to do it. Like there's that part of this story as well. But it saved the season. I mean, I tweeted this during the game, but like he earned his entire contract tonight. Like, because if they lose that game, jo- Joel's legacy takes a massive hit, in my opinion. Fair, unfair, because he did. We're going to get well. to that for yeah. in depth in a second. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but I guess what I'm saying is PJ Tucker flat out earned his money tonight. And for all the jokes that were made by me included, you know, oh, they're just signing all the Rockets guys. Like, where's the creativity? All these things. The Rockets won them the game tonight. Like Harden and PJ are the reason that they are not down. Frankly, the season's the season's over. But in this game specifically, they are the reason that this series is not at three to one. And we're just sitting here guessing how much they're going to lose game five by. So the word culture is this really nebulous thing where it means so many different things to different people. And you can point to it in this moment. And then yeah. like two minutes later, there's a bad example in the other direction. And you pretend that doesn't exist. And, you know, with PJ, when he's getting on guys and yelling at them, a lot of times when he has a bad game, there'll be people on Twitter who will say things or just in general, just people in general will say, well, they need somebody to yell at PJ because he's stinking it up. Like he's got to take a three. He's got to be better on offense, whatever it is. But I think that really misses the point of why PJ is valuable. His value is that whether he is having the worst game of his life or he's four for five from three or he's played 10 minutes or he's been asked to play 40 minutes. Yeah. PJ is the same guy every day, every practice, every week, every month, whether they're home, whether on the road, his voice and his effort and all that are always the same. And to build a championship type team, it's less about like, like we can get trapped by the numbers and things, right? You see that Joel averages 33 a game or whatever it is, or James in this series is averaging, I mean, it probably <laughs> averages out. So I don't even, it's I like 20 points, honestly, because he's got 40 plus in two games and like six in the other. So I would, it's probably in the 30 range, but I, yeah. that's, I'll do some. The point being though, you're not getting there by James is not averaging the same thing every night. Mm-hmm. PJ's not averaging the same thing every night. But if the approach is the same, your message is the same, your communication is the same, that adds up. And that when you're in the foxhole in the final five minutes of a game where you've choked away this lead and you have a guy like that who looks at all the bullshit that's happened during this game and he just says enough, like that's yeah. a, I'm not we're not going to have a pity party. We're not going to say you missed those last three shots so you don't have to take this next one. He is just ready for whatever the moment is, whenever it happens. And like that, to your point, that's why you get 
and why you pay PJ Tucker $10 million because he's going to be the same guy in that situation, no matter what else is happening. Yeah. And I think your point about the pity party is so perfect because throughout the game, maybe we can get a little more of the intricacies of the game now, but throughout it, like obviously they build the 16 point lead and you're like, okay, here we go. Harden's playing amazing. Embiid was really good for the majority of that game. Like, Embiid, yeah. I think they ended up with 76 total points together. So ultimately, they both had really good games in totality. But yes, they're up like 16. And then right before half, you know, they make a little run. It's like, oh, that's only nine. That's not great. Then they get it up to, you know, 14 again. And then at the end of the third, they once again, I think, got it back to nine. And then obviously, slowly, they, they, they chip away. But to pull through... Like we've seen this team collapse in that moment so many times and pity party is such a perfect way to put it. Like Joel, you know, and I give him credit for rebounding and after the PJ thing of, of getting out of his mood, but he had that look on his face that is the most painful look to see for Sixers fans, which is, oh my God, this guy is either scared, checked out, whatever it is. He had that look in his face. Uh, Harden went through a little bit of a phrase, obviously a phase where he kind of checked out of it. And for PJ to do that, like, it's it's why this it's why the season is alive. And I think PJ deserves a ton of credit for that, obviously. But I do think we should give credit to Joel and James as well, because, look, people can yell at you. They can tell you to get out of it. They can tell you to stop the pity party. Doesn't always mean you're going to do it. There's plenty of times I'm in a bad mood. And my wife's like, Elliot, stop. And I'm just continue to be a baby about it. And I'm like, no, nah. like, like, there's ton those things happen. Right. You don't always listen to people telling you to snap out of a bad mood. So I do think Joel and James deserve credit as well for, for getting out of it and, and getting out of that funk. Yeah. So let's talk about Joel for a second, because right. I think we were a James Harden masterpiece away from that being the single defining game of Joel's career to date. Yeah. Like we can talk all about his evolution as a player he looked so good against Horford, end of the regular season, figured him out, looked really good against him early in that game. You simply cannot be – I don't care. If you're on the floor, we can say you're hurt, you're tired, you're whatever it is. You cannot be that level of player and be that bad in the fourth quarter, period. Mm -hmm. And to be that bad and to compound that with – he got blocked by Horford – three separate times in the fourth. He had five missed shots. Three of them are Horford blocks where he's guarding him straight up on two of them. The third one, he's in a help position. And then get to a point where you're at the elbow and you don't know what to do. You're indecisive. You keep passing it out to Tobias Harris in the corner. Mm -hmm. If that was a player on another team that Philly fans didn't like, would never hear the end of that performance. And, and look, that's not something that we should forget coming out of that game as much as we want to crow about Joel when he's flying high and he's putting 50 on Boston or whatever, that was as bad as it gets. That's as bad as it gets for him in the playoffs. And after what I thought to your point was a, an amazing game for first half, certainly maybe like the first half yeah, of the third, third quarter. Or two. Yeah. And then the fourth quarter was just horrendous. I give him some credit for an overtime. He shook it off, got a bucket or two. I think was hard done on that foul call. For where sure. Doc yeah. challenged it. And Marcus Smart 
look, I, I think that was one where they probably stick with whatever the initial call is. That one's really, really close in terms so of I, real quick. I didn't think it was that close. Like, I think his foot is absolutely moving and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the rule that your feet have to be in place? Like, I know you're it's allowed supposed to, to be, but yeah, you know, I, I just see so many of these that I yeah. just say, I, to me, I say, if they would have called that a block on the floor and Boston challenged it, I would have expected them to say uh-huh. that we're just upholding the call. So it's a controversial I, call and he got hard done by that probably. Um, but, you know, by and large, it just was not good. And he went from, look, I think the best thing early is less that he was scoring and more that he was just physically dominant in the paint, like getting yeah. offensive rebounds, attacking them at the rim. They're putting Marcus smart on him on a switch. And he's just going through that guy. That's the Joel you want to see. Not the guy who's like, I'm going to take eight jab steps and try to shoot a jumper over Horford. Like I, I love Joel that his game is so versatile and he's been such a great mid range shooter, but we've seen it all year this year when he just attacks Horford with speed, he can't stay with them. And so to, mm-hmm. to essentially, let Al do the things that he's good at. That's a that's a mental mistake on Joel's part. Like we can say he's tired and he doesn't have the legs. He said himself he didn't have any lift at the end of that game. The mental side of it is what would irritate me if I'm yeah. coaches or teammates or fans, whatever. Like you can still, even if you're tired, move faster than Al Horford late in the game. And you can put the pressure on him to foul you, to let you go, to force somebody in to help. And and so that was a problem. Now, again, makes the final play of the game, although I would argue Harden bailed him out on oh, that's yes, a pretty tough pass. <laughs> that was like, a that bad was pass, the, yeah. The fact that he was able to corral that and rise up and make that three was one of the many remarkable things Harden did in that game. But I look, I don't want to undersell how bad Joel was so, because I have high expectations for him. Yeah, so I agree with everything you just said he was really bad and I think what made it so frustrating is that it was against Al Horford and it was so clear he was just dominating him the blocks like all those things right like he was really bad and I agree with everything you're saying let me play devil's advocate a little bit though because I think that when you look at Joel and I think you saw this in the game today as well and with the team as a whole Whenever things start to go poorly, you instantly, I can speak for myself, but I think fans will probably feel this way as well. You instantly feel the weight of all the past playoff failures, right? Like when they were blowing this today, I could only think about all the leads they blew in that Hawk series. And it's like, oh my God, they're doing it again, right? And so Joel tonight, there was probably, if we're being fair, I don't know, like you said, maybe one quarter, but that's probably even a little unfair. Like let's say seven minutes in this game where he was like getting dominated by Al Horford, wasn't looking good, needed to get riled up by PJ, right? So it was seven really bad minutes. And they were important minutes for sure. Like they were super important minutes. But he was good a lot of the game. He got out of it. If they make the correct call on the charge thing, he has a signature moment, right? Of making that play. But but not like not to overly defend him. But I think that tonight also showed the difference between what Joel has had and what he has now. Because guys like Giannis, guys like Tatum, those guys. They have bad playoff games. The difference is we don't really remember them. Oh, speaking of, that first half from Jason Tatum is maybe the worst 24 minutes of basketball right. anybody in the league has played all year. Yeah, but but what happened? Jalen Brown was unbelievable, right? 
What Joel has not had in past years is he's never had anybody to bail him out in those moments. So all his bad games stick out way more because we only remember that he played poorly. And then obviously Ben clearly is a talking point, but he never has guys to bail him out. So yes, Joel was bad tonight late. Al Horford dominated him for a stretch. It was disappointing. And on a larger scale, it does kind of suck that he needs someone like PJ to come up to him and go, yo, man, you're not trying and this game matters. Like, let's go, right? All that does suck. But other guys have these things too. They just, they they get help where Joel has not. And so Joel tonight got bailed out by James Harden. No question about it. He got bailed out at the end. James saved the season, all those things. But I don't know. I, I think when you look at how well he played the rest of the game, how good he's been this year, I think in the moment I felt really mad about how he was playing. And when I could see, like, I agree with you. I think his reputation was on the line. If they lose this game, I can tell you right now on WIP tomorrow, it's not a kind day to Joel. But guys have these moments. And at this point, Harden bailed him out. And we see that with other stars. So I can't get too worked up about the Joel thing. So I'm also, again, I, I'm i much more negative on this game than you are yeah, <laughs> on like the Joel it, yeah. performance. But I, if we're playing devil's advocate, here's something I'll, I'll bring back from Sixers history on the other side of it. I think what people forget, you know, like Kobe took a lot of shit for years and years because Shaq was the best player on those mm -hmm. title teams. He was the finals MVP. He won the league MVP and I believe it was their first title season. And he was like just unbelievably unstoppable. I think a lot of people forget that in a lot of those playoff runs, Kobe was the guy who had to, like, as Shaq would wear down late in games and it gets harder for a big man to control the game on yeah. offense, it's Kobe who comes to the rescue. And, like, mm -hmm. another great example of that happens in the 01 finals. I don't remember if it was is either game three or game four in Philadelphia. Shaq fouls out, offensive foul with, like, four or five minutes left in the game. It's like, oh, my God, the, the best player on the team is out of the game. Here's the sixer shot to win. Kobe is still basically the best guy on the floor for that final stretch. Robert Ori hits the dagger three to end the game and they win it. And like, you're right. Like Joel has not gotten that type of stuff over yeah. the years. And he has not had the support where there's a reason that most of the great big men throughout history are, they're not defense first, but people think of them as two way guys. They're awesome defensive players because late in games, like it's hard for a guy who's dragging that kind of weight around the floor and has such an important defensive role as the most important defensive role to also be the hub of your offense. And yeah. so Joel has not, has always lacked or often lacked the guy who he can give the ball to in the final minutes of the game and say, look, I need to save my energy on the other side of the floor. I need you to go out there and score. Right. I need you to go set the table, create for other guys. I need you, quite frankly, in James's case, to get me easier shots. I need you to you know, put pressure on the rim, find me for a 12-footer where I'm unguarded. And you know, for him to finally have that, you can see like this is the best team left in the Eastern Conference, and they're tied 2-2 despite the fact that you know, Joel has not been at his best. They didn't have him for game one. And they're still, this is for an even series. It's as even as even gets. So, yeah, um, I think that's one thing to remember that 
I just don't know how many times James can do that in one playoff run or one playoff series in this case, but doing it twice, he has lived up to his end of the bargain. Yeah. And I mean, look, if you look at these playoffs in general, he had some really good games against Brooklyn. He had the great game one. Obviously, there was the whole missed layup thing. But, you know, I tweeted this. I'd be curious for your perspective on it. Does he already have more signature playoff moments as a sixer than Joel, or at least like bigger ones? Because when you think about what he's done in this series, probably 42, 42 points on the road in game one, game winning shot against Boston, right? Like an extremely memorable performance. Obviously, tonight ties the game, hits the game winning shot. Joel has had moments in the playoffs, like, you know, the game winning shot against Toronto, the airplane, the airplane thing, right? Like there have been moments, but there's not, in my opinion, been anything like this, like what Harden has done. And I think Harden benefits and gets some added juice because these moments are amplified by past struggles, right? Like these moments stand out more because of how important this series is. So in that way, you know, Joel's early games where he was probably good, you know, their first couple years in the playoffs. Those don't get the highlight they deserve because they weren't as tense games. They were on the come up, right? This this series is like legacy defining, or it feels like every minute is like deciding how good this team's going to be and how we're going to remember them. But yeah, I mean, you know, you said how big guys need people to say, I need you to do this for me. Joel needed James to save him tonight, like point blank period. He needed to be saved and he got it. And, and, that's why Harden is a max player, right? Like that. That's why you go and you and like we have point. to keep going back and forth. Well, I'm just saying because it's it's so true. Like you know, because like when he was bad in two and three, not us, but a lot of people are like, well, this is why you don't sign him and you have to let him walk. Like it's only fair if we're gonna do it when he's bad to rip him and say he has to leave. To then when he's really good, say, well, this is why. Like this is why you need him back. Yeah, it's look. I, I don't know what the hell he's going to give them in game five because the, I thought this was like the easiest, oh man, Harden stink bomb prediction of all time coming into this game. Well, what's and, funny though, real quick, you mentioned how since they played in the afternoon today, they got fewer hours of rest between games. Now that they survived it, they actually get more rest now. You know, it's they don't get an extra day, obviously, but if we're going to view this in terms of hours, and I'm sure James is enjoying his win tonight. But James has been done playing since, you know, six or whatever it was, seven, whereas opposed to not even being done until 11. So they do get extra time now to rest in between games. Yeah. Um, while I'm on, I just had this thought randomly because we're talking about hours of rest. I made a joke yeah. with somebody that uh, Jason Tatum must have spent all of Saturday night at Delilah's or something. Because <laughs> that, that first, James no, he, he rebounded and was better in the second half and, you know, has 18 yeah. rebounds and, you know, made an impact on that game. It does seem crazy, though, that Jalen Brown is having these, like, scorching performances. And then he, he ended up with fewer shots than Tatum. Yeah. And it's like, how does that guy just kind of fade into the – and look, we I mentioned it before the series even started, the Joe Missoula questions. Like, why is Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum the two guys who were in position to guard Joel on the last possession? Yeah. Like what what's the logic there? And like why is Robert Williams the third not in the game on like a must-have defensive stop? Or Grant Williams for that matter? Like, why are your or why is Marcus defensive Smart taking players. these shots? Why is I get he's open, but why is Marcus Smart taking these shots? He's you have Tatum and Brown. Like you have to do a better job of making sure they are the ones that are taking these shots. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, so actually, that's probably a good segue to... I'm curious what you thought of uh, Doc's decision-making in that game, if it had an mm-hmm. impact one way or another. They clearly, they chopped their rotation down even further. Jalen yeah. McDaniels didn't play. And it, like my question coming in, I tried to get an answer out of Doc with regards to, will you add somebody else into the rotation mm-hmm. without actually asking him that? Because he would have been like, we'll see. Like, yeah, exactly. Like right. Um, and ends up, he says, we're playing eight guys. And Paul Reed only played like six minutes. So really you played seven and mm-hmm. Those seven were all it took, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I thought early in the game when Jalen Brown gets those two quick fouls, Doc must have been sitting on the sideline like, what's he still doing in the game? Like, this can't be legal. <laughs> like, you, Doc's like, well, good news. He's going to come out. Unfortunately for the Sixers, he stayed in. Um, Yeah, I don't know. In terms of Doc, I didn't really have a ton of big picture takeaways from him. I mean, the Celtics, once again, felt like they got a ton of really open threes. I'll be honest and say I'm not great at breaking down defensive schemes on basketball. So I can't sit here and say if that's a doc thing is Toby late. Like it felt like a lot of these shots that were open. It was always Toby running towards the guy. So seems like he's not having a great series. Um, Look, it was not ideal that on the game tying or the game winning shot in overtime or heading into overtime, Marcus Smart was wide open. There was nobody even close to him. So I think there's probably still some defensive breakdowns. I'm trying to think if there was anything else with Doc. Let me see my notes my uh, that I wrote down. I mean, what what did you think of Doc? I thought he was fine. I think it's just the the perfect example of like it's not really about coaching. Yeah, no, I agree. With that, like, yeah. It's very basic. Like, look, people wanted him to drop Niang from the rotation altogether. He played yeah. some of the most minutes of guys off the bench and was like, okay. He had a couple big shots and they had to go to him over PJ and Tobias at times because PJ was record scratching possessions and Doc pulled him to the side and said, you're not going to shoot. You're going to get the fuck out of the game and sit yeah. next to me. And he's been and better. I think that, yeah. So look, I think that's good. By the way, I just want to point out as we're talking about Joel, uh, struggling at the end of a game Nikola Jokic has 42 points and there are two and a half minutes left in the third quarter uh, wow I Suns wonder how Nuggets. many how many he got after he should have been kicked out you have to think somebody <laughs> probably under protest right I mean, but uh yeah the, I mean, that is that is crazy I already had one person text me and say I can't believe uh but Jack Fritz texted me and said I can't believe you ever compared this guy to Ben Simmons and I'll stand by it I, I still I told you it was a bad take at the time, and it's hey man, getting Simmons worse with every passing Simmons, day. Simmons had 42 points in a game before, so it wasn't in, the in a regular obviously. season game against the Utah yeah. Jazz, buddy. Against the most serious franchise. The oh, yeah. get out yeah. of here. Um, but the one doc note I did have, it ended up not being a big deal, but I thought he made a mistake where the, the Celtics were on their run. They, they had just cut it. Joel was out of the game. They come out of the timeout, and PJ Tucker's the five, and Joel's on the bench. And I think the Celtics made a three right away. And he puts Joel right in, so not a huge deal. But that was one moment where I was like, "What are you doing there, Doc?" That lasted all of thirty seconds. That yeah, moment. exactly. Like it, it, <laughs> it, it, it Doc said, right away. no more. 
Um, all right. So I feel like we did the Harden thing. We obviously uh, done the Embiid thing. I mean, do you have, I have some big picture questions for you. Do you have any thoughts on Maxi and Toby? I'm curious how you think. Yeah, uh, they stink I, oh, and they yeah, haven't thought they, anything. Yeah. I'm yeah, just, Toby especially. They stink in this series, I would say. It's, I don't yeah. want to go too far uh, with my declarations here. But um, I mean, they've been bad in kind of different ways. I think the thing that's striking about Tyrese specifically mm -hmm. is that he has not figured out how to counter the length at the rim. And in theory, that's where like the runner and floater package that we saw, and we still see this quite often, but that we really saw when he first came into the league, that that would be his bread and butter. Like yeah. Robert Williams is length at the rim. Instead of trying to challenge him, you just pull up from 10, 12 feet and take a little short runner or floater like that. And instead, he's tried to press the issue with his speed, and he is just getting pasted at the rim. Like just has no chance trying to attack. And then on top of that, I've talked up his shooting again and again and again, and he's getting quality looks. He's two for six today from three and yeah. can't get it going. He just – he does not look like he belongs in this series in many ways. I will say this about Tyrese. He at least came out and he had six rebounds in the opening quarter and made a, at least a couple defensive plays that helped set the tone early. Tobias was just like missing person for most yeah, of the game. Yeah, and like and, dumb plays too. Like terrible plays, decision-making. Yeah, and to the point that I don't think Melton has had a good series, but at least he looks like he's engaged with the play when he's on yeah. the floor. There's just kind of these like rebound is flying in and Tobias is just, maybe it'll come yep. down to me. And so I think they have to be able to sustain – I'm not expecting them to play balls to the wall for 48 straight minutes, right? Like, that's just not a sustainable way. There's a reason, for example, that NBA teams don't play full court press. Mm -hmm. One, it's because they, they, they'll beat it easily. But two, it's just an exhausting way to play and that ends up working against you. But I, I do think they have to try to find like a, you know, a middle ground between we're just attacking everything and flying for every loose ball and hey, there goes a rebound. I'm not going to try to go get it. So I, I thought they yeah. did a better job of that in the first half, and it was clear they had used up a lot of their you know, spirit and, and energy just to get to that point. Um, speaking of rebounding real quick, I did want to bring this up with Joel. I thought early in the game, not only was he doing a good job rebounding, he was like almost violently rebounding the ball. Like he would get it, and it was like – he was like, this is mine. And he would grab it. He would like, you know, throw it and like hold it. Like he I really attack the ball. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. You like, do. Yeah, but I, I think that's not often something he does. So in terms of being a tone setter, I thought the way he rebounded really was like early on kind of a, okay, Joel's in this and he's, he's setting a tone for early on. Now, look, again, he was bad in the fourth quarter, but I don't think it shouldn't overshadow all the good he did early on. Um. The, the big picture question I have for you is, um, I said this earlier in the pod, but I want your reaction to it because it kind of got lost in the shuffle. I, I think tonight is the night they won the series. I think to escape the like claws of death like that and to avoid the, the moment where it was going to tank again to survive that, to me, this looks like a team that I just can't picture getting eliminated. Like all year you've said they find ways to win games. I just, I don't think they're going to lose. Like they, they might lose game five. But like I think when a push comes to shove, the Celtics will not be able to eliminate this team. And I'm curious 
if really four games in, but especially after tonight, just where you're at with it. Like how much did this game change your outlook on the team? Obviously the win means they're two to two and not three to one, but just in terms of their ability to win it, how much did tonight change your uh, outlook? Zero. Zero. Oh, come uh, on, man. You tell zero. me zero. Okay. Um, these are the two most bipolar teams and maybe in the entire league. And yeah. so, I mean, Tatum is the perfect example. Like I said, guy played maybe one of the worst halves of his career. And then second half, he's destroying guys and getting to the rim. And, you know, the final box score looks pretty good. And they're just a team that's very similar to the Sixers in that they might stink it up for three quarters or two quarters, whatever it is. And then they just will pull out a haymaker and you look up and it's like, man, they're up by 15. What the fuck happened? And there's a decent chance that Boston comes out in game five and pace them, like just destroys them. And I think, I think people tend to think like, Oh, it's a close playoff series. It, It goes seven games is always like, man, there's a lot of hard fought games in there. A lot of times, like the Toronto series in yeah. 2019, there are a few of those games, but by and large, those were like trading ass kickings back and forth. And game seven, and I believe game four, the one that Kawhi won late. Well, yeah, both I of don't them remember Kawhi that won late. Yeah. yeah. Um, those were the only two real dogfight games in that series. And that's a lot of times how it tends to go. So, in terms of like expectation setting, it's so hard to say, I watched that game and this is what's going to happen. And you know, it's right. what we've, what James said before the playoffs, you think you're never going to lose again when you win and vice versa. And I, I just, I won't, I, I won't get trapped in the doc rivers used a great phrase on Saturday. He said the playoffs are emotional terrorism. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly what it is. Everybody, the, the latest thing they've seen He's like, that's it. It's like, James Harden's the guy. Joel was terrible in crunch time. Blah, and, and it's like, right. it's one game. Everybody resets. They could go do battle again in two days. And we're going to see what happens. I, I think they've confirmed a lot of our priors with toughness in terms of PJ, with James and what he brings them. Some of the unfortunate priors with jo- Joel against Horford and, and crunch yeah. time. But Look, it's a three-game series now. They have every chance in the world. They've already stolen one on the road. They've proven they can beat this team on the road without Joel, let alone with him. So, it's look, if you're a Sixers fan, enjoy this. They have a chance to win it. I just – I still default to I think Boston is slightly better, and because they have two out of three at home, I favor them to win this series. So first of all, I know Doc wasn't talking right to me, but he pretty much could have been because I'm the king of getting emotional and overreacting. So the playoffs are emotional terrorism for me, but you're you're right in the way that it can't be predictive. But I do think it's interesting that in the two games that have been really close and then decided in the last minute, the Sixers have won both of those games. Like game three, Boston controlled it throughout. And I know on the scoreboard, it was close. We would both agree it never felt like, the Sixers had a chance to win that game. See, game but that's two. that's cope. You're coping. You that's, so? It was a it's a four point game with like four minutes left. That's yeah, you can't you, say it's not a okay. But, but but what was I'll have to look it up. I look again. I agree that game was it was closer. But we, the two games that they've won have been the ones that are won in the final minute. 
Like that's a fact. And when the games have been decided, they were late, closer. Yes, were, but it, the, yeah, but that's yeah. you're trying to make it seem like they were not in game three, and it's like well, the, oh, Boston again, wins I, the blowouts. It's right. Like, but I'm, I'm saying, no. And look, maybe I'm letting these odds speak to me too much. But again, there's a reason the Celtics were never. It was never viewed as close in the second half against the Sixers and Celtics in game three. Regardless, I'm piggybacking off of what I think is one of your points, but this team knows how to win games. And you're seeing that in, in this series, that when the games are close, so like for game five, if they can just come out and survive to like midway through the fourth, I think they'll probably win. But that is the worry, is that in that environment, in game five, like I think game five will be harder to win than game seven if they make it to seven. If they can get there, I think the pressure is so on Boston at that point. And it can be tense there, but I, I think, yeah, five is going to be tough to win, but I think this team is showing that late in the games, if it's close, they, they can be trusted to, to pull these things out. Seems you disagree. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I will, at this point with how insane this series has been through four games, I'm just not going to say, well, this is, they're all must wins. Like there's just, they yeah, gotta win them all. How about that? Yeah, like, not, I'm not going to yeah. say if they win this, then they'll do this. If they lose this, they'll do that. It's like, at points in that game, I was like, man, they wrapped it up. And then it was, wow, the worst choke job I've ever seen. Oh, I and know. Then, oh yeah. my God, James Harden, first ballot Hall of Famer. It's, you know, yeah. Well, don't ride the, the roller coaster. And I mean, ride it if you're having fun. But yeah. in terms of what it all means and searching for the meaning of life, like, you know, well, here's just roll I'll with say. the punches, man. In in real life, I hate roller coasters. I'm afraid of them. I don't go on them. Oh, it, boo. Yeah. Why do I want to feel like I'm falling at 100 miles an hour? Why, why is that a feeling I want to, to, to live through? But in sports, I love the roller coaster, right? I, I, I really do. So I'm super excited for game five. It would have just been, it would have sucked so bad if the next two days were spent waiting to see them lose in Boston and have the series end. Now it's 2-2, Sixers Celtics game five in Boston. I'm super excited for the game. So uh, we will maybe talk before then. If not, we will obviously definitely have a pod for you uh, after that game, hopefully talking about another Sixers win now that they have escaped a near catastrophic collapse. So unless you have any other points, I'm guessing you probably have been working all day and want to go, uh, you know. I'm going to go watch the last eight minutes of Suns Nuggets because yeah. it's one of the most insane shot-making games of all time, apparently. And the game Jokic should have been kicked out of. So anyway, we will talk to you guys next time. Shout out to everybody that watched. And we have people in the comments, Zach, Adam, uh, Steve, Kali, Miles. So thank you to everyone that took the time to watch us tonight. Thank you to everybody that's been listening. Everybody that's downloaded the Odyssey app. It is much appreciated. We got a lot more exciting games to talk about. And the ride is not over. So Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. See you guys soon.